Today on the Matt Wall Show, protests are growing louder over the bill in Florida which bans the sexual indoctrination of kids in elementary school. The left has managed to garner this much outrage by simply lying about what's in the bill. Today we'll sift through the nonsense and get to the truth and we'll read the actual bill itself, which is a bold step if you can imagine it. Also, as gas prices skyrocket across the country, Biden announces a plan to ban Russian oil, but the new oil import plan isn't much of an improvement. We'll talk about that. Kamala Harris also tries to be inspirational again, and it doesn't go well. Serena Williams is the victim of racism, or so she claims. A police chief in Florida is fired for anti-white bias. There's a new one. In our daily cancellation, we'll talk about the body positivity advocate who inadvertently exposes an ugly truth, which is that the body positivity movement is actually fueled by hatred towards men. I'll explain why. All of that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. Now's the time to take advantage of low mortgage rates before they're gone. As each day passes, uh, we don't you know, know exactly what to expect. Could they drop a little bit? Maybe, but it's not worth it to wait and see. You can lock into a great deal right now by calling American Financing, America's home for home loans. Uh, what you got to do is take advantage of a free mortgage review and see if you can save up to $1,000 a month, plus tens of thousands long term, because you know there's more to a refinance than just a lower rate, but you are saving money the entire time. And with everything else going on right now, gas prices and everything else, you got to save money wherever you can. You can also shorten your term or pay off high interest debt. Just be sure you act soon. The Federal Reserve meets uh, late next week, and that can mean higher rates this month. You don't want to miss out on what's available right now. So you want to act now, act immediately. And you can do that by calling 866-569-4711. That's 866-569-4711. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS, 182334, NMLS, The outrage and hysteria in Florida over the so-called Don't Say Gay bill has uh, reached a, a fever pitch as the Florida Senate began debating the legislation on Monday. Um, though perhaps outrage and hysteria, you know, is not exactly the right phrase here. In fact, the, the backlash is all carefully scripted and cultivated. Um, some of the anger might be genuine. I don't know. Uh, some of it, a small portion of it. But even the genuine anger is rooted in carefully disseminated propaganda. And everything else is just choreographed. Nonsense. Um, we've seen plenty of false narratives take hold before, obviously. There's a new one every day somewhere. As you know, every time a bell rings, a false narrative gets its wings in this country. But the pure, blatant falseness of this particular false narrative manages to set itself apart, even amid the torrential downpour of utter bullcrap from the media on a daily basis. Speaking of bullcrap... Um, Saturday Night Live kicked things off this week with another hilarious comedy skit wherein no jokes were told, nothing funny happened, and Kate McKinnon pr- continued to prove that probably Christopher Hitchens was right about female comedians. Um, anyway, watch this. Florida's controversial Don't Say Gay bill passed its final state Senate committee. Here to comment is Kate McKinnon. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Well, I was, yeah, I'm sorry to barge in here like out of costume. I just, I heard about this law, and I, just, I think it's amazing. Oh, you, you, you do? 
Yeah, because what, you know, when I was in middle school in the 90s, I was some, <laughs> I was kind of like tortured by the constant use of the word gay. Like, you know, that's so gay, or ew, you're gay. It just, it, it made me feel horrible. And to hear that Ron DeSantis has, has taken a stand and said, no, you cannot say gay in school anymore. I'm just like, I'm so jazzed. And in Florida, of all places. I mean, yeah, yeah. So, so actually, I feel like there's been a misunderstanding. See, the law actually means that you can't acknowledge that gay exists at all. What? Can we all just stop pretending this woman is funny? Can we at least do that? Can we agree on that as a society? I, I don't believe that people actually find her funny at all. And every year she has a new impression. Everyone says, have you seen the Kate McKinnon impression of... Uh, Hillary Clinton, it's, it's just her. It's just her being herself, which is, which is very unfunny. This is also the one, I think Kate McKinnon, wasn't she the one who did the, uh, after Hillary Clinton lost, uh, she, she did the, she, she played the piano while crying, um, you know, as Hillary Clinton, and then she sang Hallelujah or something like that. I think, I'm pretty sure that was her. Anyway, she says, uh, what? That's a good question, because everything that Scarlett Johansson's henpecked husband just said there was totally false. Uh, but you wouldn't know that if you listen to the protesters who have been in Tallahassee screaming about a fictional bill that stops them from saying the word gay in school. I mean, people actually believe this. This is what, this is what people believe, that there's a, <laughs> that there's a bill in Florida that says you're simply not allowed to say the word gay ever in, in any school in Florida. Um, floridapolitics.com has the report on what these protesters are doing. It says a group of Florida students took to the Capitol steps in Tallahassee Monday morning. In a last-ditch appeal, uh, plea rather, with state senators to vote down a controversial measure dubbed the "Don't Say Gay, gay" bill by its critics, students chanted "We Say Gay" and planned sit-in protests throughout the day as the Senate prepares to take up the controversial HB 1557, which proponents say would bolster parental rights, but opponents say it would create a dangerous environment for students. Our students have no choice but to be here, transgender educator Cyrus Bresick said. Their lives are being politicized. They're being actively threatened. And our classrooms are being set up as the traps. Meanwhile, Democrats in Florida have been comporting themselves with all the dignity that you might expect. Um, let's see what they're up to down there. Yes, that's right. Uh, Democrats are now at the point where they're literally just running through the halls shouting the word gay. This is all they have to offer the world. This is their whole party in a nutshell. This is, this is all they got. They have nothing to say but gay. And they say it all the time, everywhere, feeling little need to say any other words in between that word. So I appreciate how they're just cutting to the chase now, at least down in Florida. For, stop pretending that you have anything else. Just, just repeat the word over and over again, because that's all you got. This is all the Democrat Party is now. You can tell why so many Democrats were disappointed with Joe Biden's uh, State of the Union address. It was a horrible speech, but that wasn't the problem for them. All they wanted him to do was stand there for 90 minutes and just say the word gay over and over again. Gay, gay. Did I mention gay? Also trans, trans and gay, and gay and trans. The State of the Union is super gay. That's what they wanted to hear. Now, given that this is literally all Democrats have to say or offer, um, you can see why they'd treat any bill preventing them from saying the word gay as the apocalypse, because that means that they can't speak anymore. They, have, they can't say anything if they can't say the word gay. The only problem is that no such bill exists. 
But that didn't stop the left from demanding that every corporation in existence denounce the bill. And many have. But uh, Disney had remained conspicuously silent up until now. And, and pressure continued to mount because Disney, of course, they're down there in Florida. And, um, and so the, the left was saying, and this, this is what we see, of course, is anytime the left's upset about something, um, they're not just going to be upset about it themselves. They need everyone else to also be upset about it. And, um, and they needed Disney to be upset about it. Finally, Bob Chapik, who's the, the new CEO of Disney, sent out a memo to staff saying, on Friday, I met with a small group of Disney LGBTQ plus leaders to discuss controversial legislation pending in Florida that would impact their communities. I want to thank them for a meaningful, illuminating, and at times deeply moving conversation. I told the group I would write to the entire company with my thoughts on the issues we discussed. I wish every one of our employees could have heard not just the passionate voices in the room, but the bravery, honesty, and pride those voices expressed. It is a conversation I will never forget. I want to be crystal clear. I and the entire leadership team unequivocally stand in support of our LGBTQ plus employees, their families, and their communities, and uh, et cetera, so forth, blah, blah, blah. Now, and he goes on for, for like pages and pages about how awesome and wonderful and beautiful and uh, courageous LGBT people are. But that wasn't enough, of course. You know, even that was not enough. Old Bob should have just sent a memo with the word gay written 10,000 times. And instead, he used other words besides that. And that has led Disney employees to now speak out in anger, which is something that we've seen. You know, we saw this with, with Netflix. Now we're seeing with Disney. One of them is gay Disney animator, um, a guy named Ben Seaman, who posted a now viral video calling out his employer. Listen. Anytime you're different in school, uh, you're probably prone to get picked on and you're searching for answers, wondering if there is something wrong with you. And luckily, I had a teacher that was very kind and talked to me about it and let me know that there wasn't anything wrong with being gay. And it made a huge impact on my life. If the don't say gay bill passes in Florida, that would have never happened to me. I would have been left alone and scared. And LGBT kids are going to be left alone and scared and hurt by this bill. And teachers that are gay and married to partners won't even be able to talk about them. They're going to have to pretend that LGBTQ people don't even exist. This bill is going to hurt kids. I love working for Disney. I've loved working for Disney. It's an amazing company that I've loved since I was a kid. And they make amazing movies and television specials. And they're starting to include more LGBT characters that let kids know that, you know, if being gay is all right. But when they have donated to the sponsors and co-sponsors of the Don't Say Gay bill, and they have made no position against this bill, and they are going to continue donating to these politicians, they are essentially saying that this bill is okay. Oh, uh, yes, the famously anti-gay Disney. You know, Disney, which which puts uh, four gay people and seven trans people in every single movie or TV show they make now, is, uh, as we all know, I mean, they're they're secretly very anti-gay. These are, these are right-wing social conservative extremists. Now, I understand this is something of a moot point to the people disseminating this narrative, but I do feel behooved to mention that, that, that nothing uh, Seaman said there bears any relation to the truth whatsoever. Seaman was completely wrong. Um, but they didn't, look, he didn't just pull this out of thin air. This has been the result of a wildly successful branding campaign by the LGBT left, including organizations like Equality Florida, which put out this ad um, about the bill a few months ago. Watch this. All right, Chelsea, you're up. Tell us about your hero. I have two heroes, my two moms. 
It's okay. You should be proud. Go ahead. Mrs. Thompson, please report to the front office. So there you go. Um, according to Equality Florida, no child at any age can even so much as mention gayness, even when discussing their own families, or an alarm will go off and their teacher will be immediately fired. So there's <laughs> they're monitoring the classroom and there's some sort of censor. And if you say the word gay, an alarm goes off. Now, when I am theocratic fascist dictator of the country, we may have policies like that in schools. But right now, nothing like that is being proposed. And also, of course, there's a sign uh, that will hang in every classroom saying state approved topics only. Of course, that part is actually true in a sense because public schools are government schools. So I like how they put that there like it's something sinister. Oh, state approved topics only. Every topic is state approved. The schools are run by the state after all. But the rest is, of course, horse manure. And to prove that, I need only do something completely radical um, that will seem radical anyway. And that is, that is to refer to the text of the actual bill itself. Now, the first thing you'll notice when you uh, actually read the Don't Say Gay bill, if you do read it, which of course none of the critics have, is that the word gay does not appear anywhere within the bill. Now, you, you might wonder how a bill can forbid a word from being spoken without mentioning the word that it is forbid, forbidding. That doesn't really make a lot of sense, right? Uh, well, it can't, and this bill doesn't. Here's what this bill does say. Okay, I'm going to read it to you. It says, Classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. So this is classroom instruction by school personnel. Um, and it's specifically we're talking about kindergarten through grade three, three. That's it. Okay. That's the relevant portion of the bill. It specifically targets very young students, pre-K through third grade, and only forbids the teachers from instructing the kids about sexual orientation and gender identity. It does not at all restrict what the students say. And it doesn't restrict what the teachers can say aside from official classroom instruction. In other words, there's nothing in this bill preventing a child from mentioning their gay parents or, or even preventing a, a teacher from mentioning their gay partner, though I'm not sure why teachers would need to be having those conversations with students anyway. But there's nothing in the bill that at any point that, it would, that has ever targeted that or that would ever prevent that. Um, bill has nothing to do with it. It only restricts classroom instruction by preventing lessons about gender identity and sexual orientation for, for kids who are eight years old or younger. So the real problem with this bill, and I have a problem with it too, the real problem is that it only pertains to kids that young. It should go, this should, this should apply to all grades because there's no grade or age where it's necessary or appropriate for teachers to instruct kids about these topics. You know, the, 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 the Florida GOP, they basically extended an olive branch to the left by limiting um, the scope of the bill in this arbitrary way. And as expected, the left took the olive branch, poured lighter fluid on it, and set it on fire. That's the way it always goes. They're not interested in any kind of um, compromise. Now, you, you thought that, that oh, they'd be okay with it because, like, obviously any rational, sane person would be okay with saying that we're not going to instruct about sexual orientation or gender identity to, pe- to kids in third grade or younger. And so you, you try to keep it there and limit it, and you figure, well, no one could have a problem with that. Of course they have a problem with that. What's actually happening here? In reality, as the bill only forbids the sexual indoctrination of very young children, 
we can see again, the Democrats are, are so desperate to sexually indoctrinate and groom young children that anything preventing them from doing so is like the apocalypse. And actually, this is the worst thing you could do. They, they, they might actually be a little bit less upset if you only forbid it from, let's say, uh, eighth grade through 12th grade. You know, if you hit middle school and, and high school, I think they'd probably be less upset because they know that if they want to get in there and brainwash kids, the easiest and best time to do it for them is at the youngest possible ages. Um, they, and they truly believe that they have a right to do it. Not just that they're right in doing it, but they also have a right to do it. Not just that they will or that they want to, but they feel entitled to. Because they're predators and liars. And we don't need to be on defense about this. They're the ones who are openly in favor of grooming children. And are filled with satanic fury when you try to prevent it. And that's why we should oppose them with every fiber of our being. Now let's get to our five headlines. All right. First of all, uh, happy International What is a Woman Day. I, I wanted to, uh, it is International Women's Day, by the way. I don't know if you, if you uh, have celebrated yet, but I wanted to extend the offer that um, I put out there on Twitter this morning because I'm getting increasingly desperate. And so and this is a real offer. Um, I'm offering this. I will give $10 million in honor of what is a, uh, International Women's Day. I will give $10 million to any leftist who can define the word woman today. $10 million. It's on the table, not literally. Offer subject to change without notice. But that's what I'm, that's what I'm putting on the table. Just, just one for International Women's Day. Can you do it? We'll see. Um, I'll let you know if anyone comes through. Now, this is from the Daily Wire. It says, the national average price of gasoline set a new all-time record on Monday, blowing past the previous record that was set more than a decade ago, 2008. Gas Buddy reported the national average price of gasoline in the U.S. today broke the existing record, rewriting the all-time high to today's four dollars. Uh, it's about you know four point one per gallon. Uh, the previous all-time high was set back in two thousand eight, um, just ahead of the U.S. Great Recession and housing crisis. So there's some good news. Gas Buddy, a platform that collects data on fuel prices to save consumers money, added that the price of diesel was likely to break the record um, of four point eight per gallon in the next two weeks. And that's where we are with gases. And, and it's, there's, there's no sign of it, of any improvement. You know, uh, Oftentimes we had these big spikes and they go back down, but we could be looking at this for days, weeks, months, who knows, maybe even longer. Um, and this raises a lot of questions. A lot of people have questions. And Jen Psaki was asked about the gas prices. And uh, I don't think your answer was very helpful, but here's what she said yesterday. Um, I want to read to you, if I could, Jen, some comments from people we've met at gas stations today. One woman saying, I just never imagined to see the cost of gas be this high. Another said, it's a huge stressor to my financial situation, a huge stressor. It's kind of like something I've stressed about, like, during the day, will I be able to afford gas? How much money do I have? What is the White House, what is the President's message to Americans who are going to the gas station today and seeing prices so high? Well, the president's message is that he is going to do everything we can, everything he can, to reduce the impact on the American people, including uh, the price of gas at the tank. What is also true is that because of the actions of President Putin, 
because he invaded a sovereign country, that created instability in the markets. That is something the President talked about even before uh, Russia and President Putin moved forward with their actions. Uh, but we have already taken steps. The President has already taken steps. Historic release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, one that's done in a coordinated fashion. And clearly, we will continue to have conversations with large oil producers and suppliers around the world about how to mitigate the impact and, and consider domestic options as well. Now, uh, a day after this, that answer was given, uh, it was announced that the Biden administration will be banning Russian oil. So this, they, they are going to be banning uh, imports of Russian oil. The 600,000 or so barrels uh, a day that we bring in are now we're not going to be bringing in. And this is something that lots of people have called for. Uh, and it's if you're if you're going to try to hurt Putin, this would be the way to do it, rather than you know getting rid of your Russian vodka, which probably isn't even Russian that you already bought. Uh, this will be the way to do it. The problem is, well, now okay, you're going to get rid of the, the Russian oil. We're going to we're not going to import any Russian oil. Well, what are we going to replace it with? Because that is it's certainly not, you know, the, it's not it's not as though the majority of our oil we got from Russia, the majority we get from Canada. But if you're not going to be bringing that oil in, you got to get it from somewhere else. One idea would be to get it from underneath our own ground, but they don't want to do that. So instead, um, what, it, what it looks like, according to the New York Times and their report yesterday, uh, we're going to be replacing that with more exports from Venezuela. So Venezuela is also a socialist dictator state and also an ally of, uh, of Russia. So it sort of makes you think, well, we might as well stick with what we already have if we're going to be doing that. So instead of Russian oil, now we're just going to be importing more Venezuelan oil. Um, here's the other thing we have to realize is that the, has, the high gas prices are a feature, right? Not a bug as far as the Biden administration is concerned. You know, they're not, they are going to be careful about coming out and saying it. Pete Buttigieg has, has all but said that himself, but it's not something they're going to, going to say explicitly. Um, other people on the left, have been more explicit about this. There was some, there was some uh, left-wing author on Twitter who kind of went viral yesterday because he said that, hey, you know, if you're, if you're using 20 or 30 gallons a week, then, uh, then there's, a, there's a problem anyway. You know, the problem is you. So now this is someone, this is the case for a lot of people on the left, they're, they live in the city and uh, they ride their little bikes to work if they even go to work or they take an Uber and they're, they're shocked to learn that not everyone lives in the city. There actually, there's actually this whole, there's really the majority of the country geographically that it, that is not comprised of major cities and people live spread out. And so they have to drive a lot and they're very shocked to learn this. Um, but from the left-wing mentality, first of all, you know, they live in big metropolitan environments. If you live out in the country, then you're probably a backwards redneck anyway, so they don't care about you. And also, um, this is all, it's all part of the transformation, right? This is, this is a, I think that's the exact word that Pete Buttigieg used last week. This is a, a transformative moment. Really, this is an advantage to have high gas prices because it's going to encourage people to stop driving cars so that we can end climate change. We all stop driving cars and climate, the climate won't change anymore. It'll be 65 degrees and sunny with a slight breeze for everybody for all time. Well, there'll be no more climate change. Um, that's what they're that's what they're working towards. And so if it seems like the Biden administration is not actually, despite what Jen Psaki claims, not actually doing a whole lot to solve the gas prices problems because they don't really have any motivation to solve it. 
Um, staying on the same subject and uh, with the same administration, Kamala Harris was um, talking about some of this and uh, energy and climate change. And she tried to be inspirational once again. And this is always a problem. Now, the good news is she's on script. She didn't go off script. But the script itself needs a little bit of work. Listen to this. Imagine a future. The freight trucks that deliver bread and milk to our grocery store shelves and the buses that take children to school and and parents to work. Imagine all the heavy-duty vehicles that keep our supply lines strong and allow our economy to grow. Imagine that they produced zero emissions. Well, you all imagined it. That's why we're here today. Because we have the ability to see what can be unburdened by what has been, and then to make the possible actually happen. We have the we have the advantage to see what can be unburdened by what has been, and then make the possible actually happen. Sounds like she was going even for a little bit of a rhyme there. I don't know. Uh, the problem with Kamala Harris is she's a terrible orator. Uh, she's a terrible public speaker, but it's the worst combination. You know, it's one, most people are bad public speakers, and it's fine. They know that they're bad, and it's fine, you know, because it's just, you're just like everybody else. You're terrible. But she is a bad public speaker, and she thinks she's good. She thinks that she's one of the great orators of, uh, in, in, a, in modern American history. And so you could tell just the, the confidence with which she utters this kind of just utter, this, this total vapid, meaningless nonsense. It's the confidence that really makes it all, all the more uh, cringy. Speaking of meaningless statements, again from the Daily Wire, it says Hollywood actor couple Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally told uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin to F off and go home while the duo hosted the 2022 Independent Spirit Awards. Now, it's pretty courageous. Um, this according to Hollywood Reporter on Sunday. It says, after returning from a commercial break, the co-hosts took a moment to show their solidarity with and support for Ukraine. Offerman began by telling the audience that they'd like to send best wishes to those affected by the war in Ukraine and all unjust conflicts around the world. And then he said, I think we speak for everyone here when we say we're hoping for a quick and peaceful resolution, specifically F off and go home Putin. And the whole audience applauded and they all started uh, lifting their middle fingers and um, to the camera. I, I, think we, I think we can all agree. Incredible, incredible courage by these Hollywood actors in Hollywood to, to really come out and make it known that they don't like Putin. You know, they're really putting themselves in a position, I think, uh, to get a lot of criticism from the heavy pro-Putin faction in Hollywood. And then also they, they may have actually solved the problem. You know, I don't know if, if Putin has seen this yet. I'm not sure if, he, if he's aware, if anyone's told him. But the moment that he sees that Nick Offerman at the Spirit Awards in Hollywood um, told him to go home. I, I think there's a very good chance that Putin will say, well, all right, okay. And then just, and, and then the, the war will end. Um, and there were a lot of other really inspiring moments, like Kristen Stewart, Stewart by the way, another actress, uh, she joined in the middle finger and then she took the stage and had, had her own speech about uh, the Ukraine conflict because these are the people that we go to for this sort of thing. And here's what she had to say. We stand for independence as a community. We stand for freedom of expression. We stand for humanity. Today, we are compelled to stand with the people of Ukraine, who are, yeah. They, 
I'm going to try to say this right. They are risking their lives to fight for those very things. We stand with the hundreds of thousands of refugees fleeing this war, both Ukrainians and those of other ethnicities and nationalities who are being denied safe harbor. Yeah. We must never, let's clap, it's weird. Um, we must never ever take for granted the importance of courage, empathy, and the power of connecting. The power of understanding each other feels really good. So let's give it a shot. Wow. A lot of insight there. A lot of courage, a lot of insight. Um, like you, I turn to Kristen Stewart in times like this. I don't know what's going on in the world. I don't know what to think. I'm scared. I'm alone. I'm nervous. And uh, I just want to know that Kristen Stewart is on top of it. And I'm looking to her as a guiding light to, sh to show me the way forward. Um, so just a lot, a lot of great courage and a beautiful moment there at the Spirit Awards, whatever the hell the Spirit Awards are. All right. This is also from the Daily Wire. Uh, it says a Fort Lauderdale, Florida police chief was fired after an investigation stated that he had asked which one is blacker when considering a promotion and also allegedly pointed to photographs on a conference room of the department's command staff saying that wall is too white and I'm going to change that. Former uh, Fort Lauderdale police chief Larry Sirotto, 48, the first openly gay police chief hired in Fort Lauderdale, was fired last Thursday after bias complaints filed last October with the equal with the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission prompted uh, that that prompted a, an investigation. Two police officers said they had been denied promotions based on race, sexual orientation, and gender. City Manager Chris Lagerbloom informed the police department he would freeze all promotions until further notice to address concerns surrounding the recent police department promotions. Now, that's a really interesting story because you don't often hear about um, people in these positions getting fired for anti-white bias. I mean, it almost never happens. And you could point out that what, what this police chief was saying, that we need to be blacker, that, well, that's too white, too many white candidates. That's, that's like the official policy in many states and in many of these institutions, including academic, including academia. That's what affirmative action is. And it's also discriminatory and racist. But he came out and said, and, and some employees actually had the, the, the courage, I think the real courage here, given the, the backlash that they could have experienced, had the courage to go to not accept that. And they went to the Equal Rights Commission and reported this. Because this is racial bias. And this is exactly what needs to happen. You know, I've made this exact point about employees at these woke companies who are forced to sit for CRT training where they're singled out by race and told that if you're white, here are all the bad things about you. And here's what you need to say if you're white. And here's what you need to think and believe. And, you know, even in some cases, having these uh, indoctrination sessions, the brainwashing sessions where only white people are required to attend. I mean, that sort of thing. That is blatant discrimination. You're, you're, the law actually forbids that. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm sure the left, the Democrats, they, they would like to change the law to explicitly allow for um, anti-white racism in these contexts. But as of right now, they haven't done it. So we do, we do have equal rights laws, which if you, if you read the way the laws are written, it says that you're not allowed to single anybody out for harassment, negative treatment, or anything like that based on their race. And the way the law is written, it doesn't say as long as they're black. It just says based on race. The companies get away with it because they're 
really hardly ever sued for it. These things are not reported. And the employees just kind of sit there and endure it. And maybe they'll take pictures and they'll put it on Twitter and it'll go viral and people will complain about it. And that's fine. Like what happened with, uh, what was it, Coca-Cola? I mean, there's been a bunch of companies. And sure, go ahead and do that, but then sue them for rate for illegal racial discrimination against you as a white employee. So that's real racism. Let's go to some uh, fake racism. I just wanted to mention this. Serena Williams is a wildly successful and famous athlete. She's got she's she's worth I'm sure hundreds of millions of dollars. They just made a movie about her. Um, she's just celebrated and loved and everything. But she is still a victim. So the New York Times did a, a story about Serena Williams. And in the print version, apparently, there still is a print version. So that's the real headline news to me. In the print version, they apparently put a, put a picture with the story that was not Serena Williams. It was, her, I think, her, her sister. It was the wrong picture. And these kinds of mistakes happen, right? Um, and, but Serena Williams was not willing to just say, oh, okay, well, mistakes happen. Who cares? I mean, everyone knows who I am. I don't have to worry that I'm being erased here. People are going to forget what I look like. She couldn't do that. So instead, she she sends out a tweet. No matter how far we come, we get reminded that it's not enough. This is why I raised $111 million for Serena Ventures, to support the founders who are overlooked by ingrained systems woefully unaware of their biases. Because even I am overlooked. You could do better. Yes, even Serena Williams is overlooked. Serena Williams, who they did the article about her. Okay, Serena, you, the article was about you. You're overlooked in an article about you. One of the hundreds of articles that have been written about you through your career. I'm being overlooked. I'm a victim of racism. This is, this is what the um, racial indoctrination on the left get, gets you. It's just, you, you end up with people who are totally unwilling. They're just look, looking for every possible slight. And totally unwilling to extend any grace whatsoever. Always assuming the worst possible motivations. Okay. In the world of the race hustler, um, there are no innocent mistakes. There are no oversights. There's no, nothing inconvenient can happen to you that is not grounded in racism. So Serena Williams, another, um, another victim. We should all apologize to her for this. Horrible life that we forced her to live as a multimillionaire athlete. Let's get down to the comment section. Who makes a Twitter mob fly off the handle with rage? Who's to blame? It's a sweet baby gang. All right. Uh, dailywire.com slash sweet baby comments. And by the way, if you are watching this uh, show right now on YouTube or on the Daily Wire, um, I hope that you are inspired by what you've been witnessing throughout the course of the show. And that is this um, ongoing battle with my earpiece that I've been waging. So this is, this is also, you know, we talked about the example of heroism among athletes. Um, I think you, you, you quite often get heroism and, and uh, examples of courage on this show, like for right now, for example, because this is a real, this is a real annoyance that I'm, that I have to point out and complain about. So I guess I lose all the credit that I would otherwise get. So we've got a few uh, video comments here. Let's go to clip 14. 
Hey, Matt Walsh. To play devil's advocate for the TikTok mom, I can kind of see where she's coming from. My husband and I had our first baby last year and we were so excited at the prospect of finally getting to tell our friends and family that our baby had finally been born. We also did not know what gender our child was when we were pregnant, so we wanted to have the joy of saying we had a boy or we had a girl. Fun fact, did you know that baby boys and baby girls are actually born with different body parts? And you can tell right away at birth if you've had a boy or a girl. You don't even have to wait until they're three or four years old to tell you what gender they are. You know, right off the bat, it's amazing. Anyway, we didn't want our friends and family to find out about that happy news via someone else's Facebook post about our baby. So we wanted to have that joy. Secondly, regarding photos of the baby on social media, I can see where she's coming from on that too. There are so many creeps and crazies and sickos out there. I do not want those sickos having access to photos of my kids. So for that reason, we don't post pictures of our kids really online and we'd prefer that others do too. So when we would text photos, we just say, hey, we don't post these online, so we'd prefer if you not either. And finally, about texting during labor, I don't know about anyone else's experience, but when I was in labor, my husband and I, we were a little busy a little preoccupied, and we really didn't care if our phone was buzzing with all of these texts coming through. As I said, we were a little busy, so those texts just went unanswered. And it's okay not to instantly respond to every text message the second it comes through to your phone. Let me just jump in. Let me, I'm going to cut you off and uh, do a little mansplaining here, okay? Because this is what men always do. Uh, no, I, look, I, I get it. She's talking about the TikTok mom who had the, a whole list of rules because she was uh, having a baby. And so there's a whole list of rules for her friends and family uh, of things that they're allowed to do and not allowed to do. We, we, we've seen this, as I said, we, this is the kind of mentality we see with weddings all the time, with the um, infamous cliched bridezilla sort of thing. And now it's made its way into other life events because for the uh, narcissistic people in our country, you know, for them, they can experience a life event that, that billions of other people have experienced. But when they experience it, suddenly it is, it is imbued with significance that it's never had before. And that gives you the right to be just a, a, a total tyrant about it. Um, and like, I, I understand some of the reasons for the rules. You don't want the, the pictures up. You don't want people to spoil the news. You want to be able to, able to announce it to yourself. But can I just say, like, what about this for an option? Just, just re- relax. Okay. Sometimes you just have to let, you, you can't control everything that people do, and you just have to relax a little bit. And if I'm the one telling you that, then you know you should listen, because I'm not exactly great at relaxing. Like right now, for example, this earpiece, I'm just going to rip it out because it's driving me insane. Okay, Josh Hopkins says, good, there we go. I'm free. Josh Hopkins says, Governor Cox has been doing stuff like this for a while now in Utah. No idea if he's a coward or a woke idiot. Uh, neither or are okay. Well, I don't know why you have to choose between the two, coward or woke idiot. I mean, I, I think that they quite often go hand in hand. But I, I think the answer is coward, of course, because a woke idiot would mean that he actually is a, is a, you know, a leftist radical himself and actually believes uh, that men are women and women are men and that there's no difference between the two and that there's nothing unfair about men competing against women. That would make him a woke idiot. And I'm quite sure that's not the case. Um, so it's possible to be both a coward and a woke idiot. In this case, he's just a coward. He knows that it's wrong. He absolutely knows it. And, um, and yet is going along with it anyway. Uh, let's see. 
King Ginger says, I think you're absolutely right about the American convoy. The only reason the Canadian convoy was such a success, at least optically, was because it happened in Canada. Not even their government suspected that that many people would be against their mandates and COVID policies, even if it didn't succeed in their ultimate goal, which was to have the mandates taken away completely. It exposed just how dictatorial Trudeau is and how their government is not like America's. Yeah, I think you raise a, a good point about one of the differences between the Canadian convoy and the American convoy. The American convoy, by the way, I don't even know... They were going to circle the Beltway all week, and uh, I'm not even sure if they were out there on the Beltway this week at all. Um, and if they were, then they've just been swallowed by the traffic, and they're not really causing any inconvenience at all, which which is good for the people, other people on the Beltway. But then that even more raises the question of what, what's what is the point at all now? You're just you're just driving around in the traffic for a week. Uh, what is that supposed to prove? But I think one of the key differences is the one you point out that you know because with a with a protest. Um, you're sending a message. You're, there's there's a certain goal you have in mind. You're trying to push a certain agenda forward, but you're also it's also about raising awareness. Okay, and in this case, for a lot of people in, in Canada with the trucker convoy, I think it raised awareness to the fact that there are a whole lot of Canadians who are not okay with the COVID tyranny. Okay, it was a way for Canadians in general to speak out against it, and that was actually a revelation to a lot of people, especially in America, including myself. Because prior to this, I kind of thought, well, it seems like most Canadians are on board with this. And that wasn't the case at all. Um, but in America, we, we obviously know that a great many of us are not okay with it. We've been very vocal about that the entire time. So it doesn't mean you don't speak out against it. But it just, again, underscores why um, these two things are different. Um, let's see. Uh, another comment says, I love how the room is decorated with the walrus book. That book has a name. And it's Johnny the Walrus. How dare you? You're banned from the show. Uh, and let's see. D- Drake says, Matt, would you be on board for canceling the portion of the student debt that is a byproduct of compound interest? I mean, are we canceling interest on uh, compound or not? Are we canceling the interest on other debt as well? You know, I, I don't think so. And my, my answer to that is no. I'm, I'm in favor of canceling these student loans and the compound interest and everything else. Um, I'm in favor of canceling it going forward, sort of proactively going forward by um, more and more people choosing not to take the loans out. So that is a, a version of canceling student loan debt that I'm in favor of. You can cancel it. You know, if you are a, for your own kids and for this young generation, we could cancel it by going forward by encouraging people to make other choices aside from at the age of 18 or 19 going in, taking out this big loan and uh, consigning themselves to, you know, decades of debt for an education that will not be worth it at all. And um, one other comment says, uh, Rochelle says, I would like to say I disagree with today's cancellation. I'm personally against protesting in general of any kind. Um, I know you ask why now, but I respond to say why not. Yes, the mandates are being lifted because the left knows a, w- a red wave is coming. But it's embarrassing that Canadian truckers made a stance before we Americans did. Truckers play a huge role in our lives. And no, most of them don't have degrees or may not have even attended college. But after the Canadian trucker convoy, truckers realized their value in logistics for this country and now and how valuable their services are. I could go outside and hold up a sign protesting mandates, and that would be theater. But if truckers stop on the highway, I wouldn't be able to purchase a sign to hold up. So give them some credit. Uh, first of all, I don't think it's true that the people in Canada made a stand before Americans did. I mean, I think there were a lot of Americans taking a stand against this from the very beginning. 
I mean, from almost from day one, there were, for example, pastors, not enough of them, granted, but pastors getting arrested because they refused to go along with their church, their churches being shut down. So there have been Americans taking a stance. I don't think that's exactly true. Um, as far as the power that truckers have, I totally agree with you. Um, but I don't think you're exercising that power in a meaningful way by just driving around on the, on the beltway. Um, as I've said this, this entire time, I, I think if, if truckers have specific grievances that they want to get across, um, I, and I can certainly imagine that they would, maybe the best way to get it across is rather than driving around the beltway is to, is to go on strike, is to refuse to haul the freight in the first place. Or how about a more targeted thing? I've been told, you know, I'm talking about how the mandates are going away and I'm constantly reminded, oh, it's not the case. So what about in California? They still have mandates. I think the mandates are even going away in California. But okay, let's take California, for example. If there's something going on in California that truckers don't like, well, then how about a protest where they say, we're not going to haul freight into California until this goes away, whatever it is. Now, there's a protest that would certainly send the message. And it would also put the left in a position of being against people who are workers, blue-collar workers, going on strike. And I realize the left has no problem being hypocritical, and so they'll take that position fine. But it just further exposes the hypocrisy. If you have workers striking and the left is against them. So there's a protest I would support. Well, if you haven't already added the premiere of The Daily Wire's latest film, The Hyperions, to your to-do list this week, then I suggest you do so right now because the film premieres this Thursday night, March 10th, and we cannot wait to share it with you. It's exactly what entertainment in Hollywood is missing these days. It's not woke. It has zero underlying political agenda. It's just about entertainment, you know, because when it comes to entertainment, that's really all that matters is that it's fun, that it's enjoyable. And this movie certainly is. Check out the trailer. My name is Vista Mandelbaum. My brother and I have taken four hostages. Everybody against the wall. We've come for one thing. Our Titan badges. Is this real? Yes, ma'am, this is real. Is my sign in this? Well, I want that too. It's the police. They want to talk to whoever's in charge. This Titan badge can grant an individual superhuman power. Perhaps it's time for someone else to take on the responsibility. Meet Apollo. I'd recommend next time using your power. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you think so. Calling all Hyperions. On my way. You're making such a mess in here. We've got a Hyperion en route. Not a good time to look stupid. Shots fired! God, come on, give me my gun! Suit up for adventure. trying to destroy me. Next question, how's the family? The family is, um, uh, gosh, what is it? Marvelous. The Hyperions is a dysfunctional family film with throwback vibes, and it's 100% worth the stream. We'll be streaming um, the film 
once on March 10th for all of YouTube to see. But this is the last time we're going to be streaming the film on YouTube for all the freeloaders out there, which means that uh, you can still watch the movies, but you got to go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and become a member today and get access to all of the content we have going on uh, and uh, coming up. And also, you know, it's um, always a good time, I think, for new voices to enter into the conversation, um, into the transgender conversation, especially because, as you know, um, as I'm constantly preaching about, diversity is extremely important to me. And that is ultimately why I decided to write the best-selling children's LGBTQ plus book, Johnny the Walrus, which you can see on display behind me in the hotel room. And if you have not yet purchased the literary sensation of 2022, and I think probably of the decade, then you can do that. Go to Amazon, um, and, uh, or you can go to johnnythewalrus.com and get your copy that way. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So today we cancel another TikTok personality who is also a body positivity advocate. Um, Mallory Burgess describes herself as an exercise physiologist and uh, these days has cultivated a pretty decent following on social media where she criticizes so-called diet culture and calls out fat shaming and tries to explode the myth um, that, as she puts it, weight can be easily controlled. What's interesting about Ms. Burgess is that, according to my brief Google search anyway, like for two seconds, her own backstory completely undermines her current stance on the supposed myth of weight loss. In fact, the first thing that popped up when I went on Google and I was trying to figure out who this person is so I can cancel them, um, the first thing that popped up was a headline in the Baltimore Sun from 2014, and this was the headline. McDaniel student loses half her body weight. The article tells us about a Mallory Burgess who was so heavy that she couldn't fit into restaurant booths, she said. But now, that is in 2014 now, she lost over 150 pounds and found a new lease on life. Fast forward to 2022, and here's what she is now saying. What is something you used to strongly believe in that you no longer believe in at all? That body weight is something you can easily change and control. Oh, look, another random person on TikTok making outrageous claims with no sources to make them feel better about their choices. No, Andrew, I read. You know all those peer-reviewed studies that you never actually read in your sophomore year college class? I read those for my job. And there is a growing body of research on weight and body size that is emerging within the last five years that's finding a lot of it is genetically predetermined. That all it takes is for one little chromosome to get a mutation and oops, that person puts on weight very easily or can't put weight on at all. And sure, some of those factors are external, but not nearly as much as the diet industry will lead you to believe. You know, that billion dollar industry whose primary interest is making sure that you keep hating yourself so you'll keep giving them money. Maybe it's time to shift our narrative. Yes, I mean, how could anyone think that people can lose weight just by eating less? I mean... I know why you should think that, Mallory, given that you did that exact thing. And even without your personal history, it should still be obvious that weight can be controlled. Maybe not easily controlled. Okay, so that's where that's where you get us on the technicality. It's not, it's not easy in the sense that self-discipline isn't necessarily easy. But it can be simply controlled, though. So let's just call it that. As I mentioned last week, I, I just read a book uh, called In the Heart of the Sea about a group of 19th century whalers who were shipwrecked in the middle of the Pacific. It's a great book, by the way. Most of them died uh, of starvation. A few survived. The survivors, when they were finally rescued, were gaunt and skeletal. There was no obesity among them. In fact, there has never been an obese shipwreck survivor rescued after months at sea or stranded on an island. Not one in history. Why is that? Because they don't have a lot to eat. 
And when you eat less, you lose weight. That's the correlation. Now, I'm not suggesting that people should starve themselves. I'm merely pointing out the calories you consume do indeed have a direct and quite predictable impact on your weight. If weight was purely genetic, then there should be lots of morbid obesity, even in places where people don't have a lot to eat. And yet, when you look at this map, for example, a map of obesity rates by country, it shows that, what a coincidence, the countries that have the most to eat and where people tend to be the most sedentary also have the most obesity. 36% of the United States is obese. In Tanzania, it's 9%. Indonesia, 7%. Isn't that quite an, an amazing anomaly? All of the purples, the rates between 0 and 10%, are all concentrated in the third world, while the highest rates are all in the first world. How do you explain that? Do they not have the fat gene down there in uh, Mozambique? We have all the fat genes here and all the fast food. Talk about bad luck. But this is, um, this is all academic. Mallory has a more recent video that raises, I think, some more interesting points. Um, well, the video doesn't really raise interesting points, but interesting points can be raised in response to it. So here you go. A little PSA for the girlies that hop on this app and do like the latest gross weekly body checking trend or do a what I eat in a day and flash their abs or just generally fish for compliments that they are in fact not fat. Come here. Stop doing free labor for the patriarchy. The hierarchy of bodies where one is considered the best, that was designed by men. Like maybe you've noticed that heterosexual men have an incredibly narrow definition of what's attractive and heterosexual women have like a much broader one. That's by design. If your feminism does not include fighting fat phobia and body liberation, it's not feminism. That's just another wing of the patriarchy, babes. And there might come a day where you <gasps> gain weight and you're still gonna need feminism then. Because if you think men are awful when you're thin, Oof, I got really bad news for you. You don't need to trash other body types to make you feel good about yourself. Okay, first of all, the patriarchy, she says that, you know, they're doing free labor for the patriarchy. I want to be clear. The patriarchy does not expect women to do free labor. We will happily pay you 70 cents for every dollar a man earns. Second, you notice how, how people are who are not thin always feel entitled to tell people who are thin how they should and shouldn't feel about their bodies. So for all the talk about fat shaming, the fact is the only kind of socially acceptable body shaming that you ever encounter in our culture today is the kind you just heard in that video. Third, most importantly, here's a point that I've been wanting to make for a while, and, um, and our friend Mallory has given me the opening. Much of this body positivity stuff is very thinly veiled misinjury, okay? The body positivity people, most of them, really just hate men. And I don't mean that they hate men just because the body positivity stuff is never meant to encourage men, but only women. All of the fat people we're supposed to celebrate are women, all of them. And that's true, but that's not why I'm saying this. I'm saying it because of, of what she just said. People like Mallory don't like the traditional feminine form because, for one thing, it takes some work to maintain and they're too lazy. And second, because that's the, the form that men prefer. So she says with disdain that men have a very narrow conception of what they find attractive, as opposed to women who are more expansive. Now, the second part of that isn't really true. Uh, just ask any out-of-shape single guy with no money how easy it is to find a woman who will give him the time of day. He probably is not going to think that women are all that open-minded when it comes to their attractions. That's not going to be his lived experience. 
Um, no, women, broadly speaking, look for certain things in men. Men look for certain things in women. The things they look for are different. And the way they look for those things is also different because men are much more visual by nature. But it's not accurate to say that one group is more enlightened than the other. Now, we're speaking in general terms here, again. But it's certainly, it's certainly not accurate, generally, to say that men want women who look gaunt and famished. That was a, a trend on the fashion runways for a while. If any men were responsible for that, it, it would have been gay men, not heterosexuals. We had nothing to do with that. That's not what we're after. Men like all of the things that everybody already knows. Thinner waist, curvier hips, longer legs. Obviously, men are attracted to breasts, to the feminine form, in other words. Men are also attracted to things that are perhaps um, noticed on a more subconscious level, like facial symmetry. Though women are attracted to that too. So why do men like these things? Well, perhaps the first answer to people like Mallory should be, we like it because we do. Piss off. We shouldn't have to justify our sexual attraction to you any more than you're presumably willing to justify yours to us. Especially when we're simply pursuing the same things in women that billions of other men have pursued throughout history. It's all very normal and healthy. One of the big things that makes these attributes attractive to men, you know, hips, breasts, and so on, youth as well, is that it's a marker of fertility. Our attraction to the feminine form is biological. It's a product not of patriarchy, but of evolutionary biology. A feminine woman with the classic sort of hourglass shape or something close to it signals health and vitality. Obesity signals sickness. Obese women also have more problems with their fertility, fertility, which again shows why men don't find it attractive. A man, whether it's in the forefront of his mind or not, is looking for a woman with whom he can start a family. That's why the personality traits that men find most attractive women, because it's not all about looks. It's also, it, it, there is also an element of personality there. But all of the personality traits that men find attractive in women are all of the ones that will make her a good wife and mother. Not the ones that will make her a good CEO, okay? Not the ones that will make her successful in business, um, but the ones that will make her a good wife and mother. Is she caring? Is she, is she compassionate? Is she affectionate? Uh, does she have a maternal instinct? These are the things that men are looking for. And that's also why the most unattractive and repulsive woman to a man is an obese feminist. Because she lacks literally everything that a heterosexual man wants. Everything. Which only makes her more bitter to straight men, which only makes her more repugnant to them, by extension, which only increases her bitterness, and it becomes this vicious cycle. None of this is the fault of men. We're just being who we are, wanting what we want, okay? And we don't have to justify that to anyone, least of all Mallory, because today she is, I'm sorry to say, canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. 
Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, gas prices spike into unprecedented territory. Plus, the Biden administration reaches out to Venezuela rather than pushing new drilling. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. 